Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tree Actions, the Human Forestry Podcast, and with my trusted host, Tony Tressault. Uh, today, we are joined by good friend and arborist extraordinaire, the tree dog, Dave Lutz. How's it going, Dave? Thanks. Going well. Thanks for having me, guys. Real pleasure. No problem. Glad you glad you can come. It's been a minute, Dave. I haven't caught up with you in a while. Well, I mean, you. I I think of you every time I use the rigging bone. That's right, because I was up doing that um, Vermeer seminar. It was at Winnipeg, right? I think. Probably. Yeah, I love that thing. I thought yeah, I. It, 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 I wow, that's totally changed everything for me. I just yeah. I still use it, and people still go, "What is that?" And I show them, and they go, "Nah." Yeah, I, like when I get to actually rig things anymore. Um, if it's not connected to a crane, I use it all the time too. And I get the same reactions and it's been around for a while, but it's like, I don't know. Whatever. I, I think it, I'm with you. First time I saw it, I'm like, yeah, I can use the crap out of that thing. That's going to be awesome. And and I do when I rig. So it's been great. Yeah, so that's absolutely. Awesome. yeah that was when a Scotch brainchild. And I remember Stanley before he passed away, he was working on a similar type of thing, but his idea was more for belay or something. It was, he called it a squid. And I've seen a version of it that uh, high special specialty forces groups use for repelling out of choppers and stuff. But, but uh, you know, there's no end to the potential devices that could be invented and will be invented in the future. And and sometimes I wonder if any of them were ever really original. They're just to play off another idea that that some that existed somewhere somehow. But uh, I think I'm glad always... you said that because I I look at stuff and go, I it's not really new. You know, some Polynesian sailor used that back way back in the day in some form or another, right? And it just sort of got adapted. So pretty, it's pretty cool to watch. It's a, some yeah, stuff there, there's no doubt there, there's strong correlations between the uh, nautical world and its origins and arboriculture. They're, 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 they, they're definitely closely connected. I'm sure we'll get into that, and uh, it just dawned on me that we've had a previous guest that has similar background to you when it comes to na the Navy. But, um, <laughs> Dave, I, well, I always ask people to kind of kick us off. What is your first recollection, you know, what's the first kind of thing that pops into your brain uh, as far as where you feel you connected with trees? I think uh, I, I was playing hockey in, uh, in Winnipeg uh, back in early, very early 90s. And uh, a friend of mine happened to do silviculture work, planting trees, he called it. And this is quite a while ago. And um, I'd been going through or have been going through some interesting things to that point, the coin phrase. And... Uh, <laughs> When someone mentioned tree planting, I thought, oh, yeah, seems good. Uh, you're in the bush. Uh, you'll be away. And for some reason, that really resonated with me. And it was peace work. And I hadn't really fit in it much at that point. And uh, I went off and started planting uh, uh, spruce trees in the uh, Packwash Forest north of Kenora and absolutely fell in love with the tree world there. And that just started that started the door for me like i i love the whole aspect back then of being able to uh 
be part of the initial sort of man after a fire or after a blowdown or something like that to be walking through there trying to uh have an impact and to uh be part of i thought that was my office i couldn't have had it any better you know i couldn't have had it any better so did you feel that there was uh more to it than just a financial reward obviously you were paid to do that and i think tree planting you know for some people can can pay quite quite well but uh, did you find it, it became more than just a job at that point, or was 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 the was the what was the main attraction? Obviously the woods, but what was it about that that you that you garnered uh, reward from, or what did it do for you? Well, uh, well, it's amazing what hindsight is. You know, I can look back and see the value uh, I got out of it more today. But back then, I didn't realize. Uh, in all honesty, I connected with something for the very first time to a group of people, to a philosophy of teamwork. And, and it saved my life because I had to be in the moment to do the job. Uh, everything was about having to get it right, right now. There were so many variables at that type of job when it was pouring rain or it was cold or it was many different things. And for me, the way I was back then, having something that demanded that I be totally 100% present, which has transcended through my whole career in, in the tree world to be in that state now, uh, where you had to be there. And that really started a, a journey for me of uh, many different things. But it, it certainly ended up at 61 years old sitting here. And I can look back to that and go, it certainly has been a part of my life that uh really kept me going for decades you know before other things changed so it's been a spiritual event for me uh today when i look back on it but in the moment back then i didn't realize the impact it was having and to be that connected to something just a gorgeous experience for me now and you made a transition you know from from the tree planting world into the tree climbing world i guess you could say can you talk to us a little about how that how that transition occurred yeah i'm thinking back though i don't how many people go yes well i went to school and graduated and went to do that i remember uh after well, I was planting trees afterwards uh my the mother of my babies my beloved ex-wife uh well she got pregnant so i had to get a job and stuff and that paid well and uh there was a guy in winnipeg i was standing at the canada employment center when he used to have to go down to a center to look for a job and uh, it said must know how to use a chainsaw so you know as a groundie for an arborist which i did not know what that was uh my friend Brad Crass in Winnipeg, I love the dude. He, uh, I phoned him up and he said, start tomorrow. I thought that was great. <laughs> and uh, went out and we were, we were going to deadwood some elm trees, he said. And uh, I didn't know what exactly that meant. Uh, but uh, from that day forward, I looked at it and I suddenly, the gear he was using and he was climbing and, doing the best he could and he was great at showing me stuff uh but it really reminded me of being at sea cadets and working on a bozo's chair and uh working angles off of 
with old ropes and stuff. And I went, wait, it's a lot of this I know. So uh-huh. it really grabbed me a little bit. And he said, if I work hard, that I'd get $8 every hour. <laughs> and uh, I did. <laughs> after a week, after a week, because I was on the ground trying to, you know, I was kind of bored. Brad wasn't the fastest dude in the world. Rest him. I love the guy. Yeah, but yeah, uh, okay. when I bothered about how long stuff would take, he said, well, if you think you could do better, you're more than welcome to do it, Dave. And keep in mind, I love this guy. And I said, well, how much does that pay? And he says, well, it pays 13 All I heard was $5 an hour raise. And uh, I'm in. <laughs> I went immediately home and said to Kim, guess what? I, I got a $5 an hour raise. And she had no clue what was that we were going to be venturing on. But from that point forward, that, that dude, Brad, and he was really a tree nerd, you know, and he really yeah. sort of tempered me and gave me access to stuff and uh, uh, helped me go from sliding along branches and wearing the crotch out of all my jeans because I climbed in jeans. <laughs> uh, yeah, from that to this, that was... Uh, I was, I'll go with Brad Kraft and D. Hunter for Green Tree Services back in the day. Wow, I didn't. I don't think I knew that you. I I know you. I know you were at another company, but I don't. I didn't know or didn't remember that you would spend time with Brad and D. at their company. That's where it all started. And you mentioned Sea Cadets and the the name the the nautical background. Was it what? Where did where did that like? Obviously, that was before the tree planting then. Oh. The sea cadet stuff, oddly enough, you know, it's, it's weird sometimes because you, I didn't know then that it would have such an impact, even though those kids and all those people, I've suddenly felt a little bit of a connection hanging around with these other sort of weird nerds, you know, that were really smart and stuff. And I met this old, went to Navy League. My mother made me go to Navy League when I was 10. And uh, everyone back then, because I'm 61, I had long hair and it was all about different things. Not me. You know, I had really short hair and I uh, wore a uniform and stood on the street. No one in my neighborhood did that. And went downtown to uh, Chippewa, which is a naval reserve base in Winnipeg, and uh, got exposed to uh, some old school sailors and uh, some... Uh, sort of connection with a bunch of kids, but I met an old bosun that had served in the Second World War, Ferguson. Still remember the dude's name. And he talked about in nautical terms, you know, he talked about uh, the different types of uh, natural fiber ropes, you know, manila, sisal, hemp, uh, and how they were configured and how you could use blocks to lift stuff and do things, right? And he always smelled like cigarettes and coffee and he wore a suit and that sort of group of people and how we did things back then for three years i just sort of fell in love with the the sort of the the athleticism and the sort of in the moment you had to be really on point and working with a group of guys because it took a lot of guys back then you know to transfer stuff or do things and we practiced as kids what they did on 
on the warships, you know, wow. and it was really cool uh, that I was able to look back on that and see, you know, I'm a, I'm a higher power dude now and go, it's odd that uh, I was getting this training, you know, I didn't know the value in it, but I, I knew I felt good about all this stuff for some reason. And never, I wasn't smart enough to figure out that this could be used to do arbor culture one day. You know, right. I was just enjoying the fact that I could, I could do it. And it so shortened my learning curve because I really didn't get into climbing until my, you know, my thirties. But having that background with so much of that stuff really, uh, really shortened it. You know, we did stuff between ships and uh jack stays you know like transferring guys and equipment between moving ships and lifting stuff off the deck with helicopters uh cargo nets and items and people and doing stuff and thinking back then you know oh, that's pretty cool that's pretty cool uh <laughs> and then doing tree work and going hey that's kind of similar and i can't you know still not dawning on me that uh if I could uh, stay focused and stay in the moment that I could really do well at something. I, and it, it, I didn't connect all those dots for a very long time, but looking back again, with hindsight, uh, all those things have, have been so helpful and I'm just so blessed that I, I went through it and still have friends, much like Arbor Culture. I have friends, lifelong friends that I still talk to you know, probably after this to talk about how things went and we're in the Navy and sea cadets, you know, from 10 years old, you know, only those types of connections and, uh, in the fellowships I have now and in, in that type of world, the tree world has given all those things just like that. Uh, pretty fascinating, you know, a blessed place to be, you know, <laughs> where you can look back on that and at least go, yeah, that's it. Not me, man. Somebody smarter than me had this figured out. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it it, it 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 makes me think of the whole, you know, when I, the reason it came up or we thought of the name of this podcast, The Human Forest, you know, you're, you know, you've been, your your tree has, has grown and been affected by all different types of, you know, you, you've moved through the forest in a sense, you know, to where you are today, but you still have those connections just like trees do to the, the trees that they grow in and amongst and around and beside. And it, you don't know, you know, I, to me, the forest is such an example of the connectiveness and how everything really does work together that maybe in our human minds, we don't always see. And that's part of my hope is that people will get from the podcasts, the, you know, this connection, that this connection can deepen through this medium, right. That, 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 that not just, and, and uh, you know, so far our guests have been relegated to to arborists uh, because that's who we know mostly. But I, I, th I think this we might see the day it'll expand beyond that. And you know, you're you're all of us have a, a you know a, a people in our human forest that are related in some way to the trees or maybe not, but they're still part of our forest. Um, and we don't have an agenda. We don't have a, a list of things to follow in this <laughs> podcast, but. Uh, you know, we, we let it just flow energetically where it does. And there's many things in your history or your career, I guess you could say that I'm aware of that 
I think might be of interest to people. Um, you know, your journey has been quite, quite, uh, varied and dynamic, you know, and I, 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 I don't know where, you know, my, I think to the day I got the phone call, I was flying to Winnipeg to do a program and I got the big phone call. Like you actually, I don't know if I was one of the first people that you called, but I was astonished. I have to say to receive that phone call that day. And I think, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, I'm curious, we haven't talked about that in some time, but how that event, uh, has played a role in your journey. I, Cause it was pretty pivotal, I think. Yeah. I mean, very kind of you not to say I fell out of a tree, but you know, <laughs> it happened. And, uh, you know, when I, I, I sit today and I fully, I fully embrace and accept that, uh, you know, it happened and I'm still, uh, sitting here today. I definitely struggled with, uh, I, I struggled with some stuff afterwards, uh, for, for, a, for a long time. And, uh, the abruptness of it, um, uh, still sits in my mind. You know, I remember, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Bruce Smith, one time kind of put me on the spot at Geezer's many, many years ago. And, uh, he said, you'll feel better, you know, and standing there with all those dudes, um, uh, it was, I felt embarrassed, but I felt, I felt better because, uh, three people, uh, get it. Look at me. I'm kind of half stuttering. Eh? Cause I'm kind of <laughs> trying to push it. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I made a mistake that day and, um, you know, I got through it. So I take that as a, a lesson, you know, that, uh, I had to be more in the moment because I certainly am the type of person that needed a board to the head metaphorically to, you know, it wasn't that incident. Well, that'll straighten me out. No, it didn't straighten me out. I didn't really did anything out of it. I, I, uh, if anything, uh, after that day, I feel like everything kind of paused. Mm. Well, I love the fact that I'm talking with you guys, you know, because it really does feel like I'm just talking to, to, to my friend. And it was, uh, it was a tough day though. You know, and what, looking back on it harder on everybody around me than it's ever been on me, you know? I was too full of myself to think about the impact it had on other people. I mean, uh, you and Phil showing up at the hospital and I remember for days, you know, I could go on and say, yeah, uh, I didn't put a knot in the bottom of my rope, my lanyard, because I, I was carrying a pole saw because, 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 because if I had just, you know, slowed down a bit because I knew it. I knew what I should be doing and all the things that had to happen. But, uh, you know, I was listening to music, enjoying the day, beautiful friggin' day. And then, uh, it's fast, you know, you're making a move. You, you just go jump out and you're just gonna, just gonna bounce down and bounce over there and Scooby do this, man. You're in, it's what we do, you know, I know you, you both know what that feels like. 
But this time, I when I cleared the tree, I got just far enough out of the tree, oddly enough, that I didn't really get hit anything on the way down, which saved my arse, I think. I think because <laughs> I just sailed and flew and whoa, and then wham, and then I stood right up and. Uh, like whoa! I felt. I look back. I feel like that guy in Platoon that came out of that scene where he comes out of the the uh, the shack after a bunch of his stuff got blown off. He's like, "Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> you're not good, dude." But I have. The, I look back and I can smile. I kind of waffle, but you know, between you know, I get kind of verklempt in a, or I get kind of smiley about the whole thing. You know, because I stood up and I went to. Oh yeah, I'm good. You know, and I went to walk, but I fell right down because nothing was attached anymore. Yeah. And it just sort of went on. And I didn't realize all the people, uh, you know, sitting on that board for four or five days and every now and then someone would show up over my head and I would uh, look up and go, oh, because I couldn't move. They were worried I wasn't going to move anymore because I had broken a lot of stuff. So I didn't know if I was going to be paralyzed or not at that point, but I was so high on morphine and whatever they were giving me that I just kept smiling and talking to people. And uh, I don't know how it worked, but because of the job, because of our job and how I heard the term industrial athletes before, because of the job, uh, my doctor said that uh, that really helped being that physically strong in certain areas and being super stubborn about, you know, and that uh, whole thing about it, just right now, today, best, one of the best things that ever happened to me, because I wouldn't be sitting here today talking about it had I not gone through all that. I really needed it. I uh, got a new hip now, so I run really fast again, and I can do a <laughs> jump shot. And even though it took me six minutes to do the aerial event this year at the event, and that was because I used new boots. Anyway. <laughs> but I had uh, a new hip, and it feels great. You know? So the event was horrifying. And I wish I... I don't know if I can ever make it up to the people around me, you know, for the support I got and putting up with my bullsh crap after that. So all the things that uh, have turned out to make it something that's been positive, but uh, I don't ever, I don't wish that upon anybody in that moment. Cause there's not a lot of, didn't feel very good at the time, dude. <laughs> I remember yeah, you being there. It was really kind of weird, you know, how it all went down. So it was, it was, it was strange. It was my, you know, second experience with having someone that I knew very well have, you know, you uh, like Pete. Pete unfortunately didn't survive his fall, but but you did. But but being so close to it, and just you know, so happened to be coming to Winnipeg that day. You know, you were supposed to pick me up at the airport, and you called to tell me you weren't going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> and you were you hadn't even been gone to the hospital yet. You were still on scene, and I was like, what? Why are you phoning me? You made someone phone me to tell me that. Great, I'm not going to be able to pick you up. I gotta go to the hospital. <laughs> go bigger. Like, oh my word. Yeah, it was, it was, and you know how lucid you were in that moment because I don't even know if the ambulance had got there. I remember hearing the ambulance in the background 
and you're talking to me and I'm thinking, what the hell are you doing? Clearly shock was a factor, but, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, I think back on it and I, 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 I don't know. It, I, I value that moment just to be able to have shared that with you, you know, for whatever, I don't know if it's weird or what, but it's, it, I, I don't take it lightly. And I've always, I always treat that with a sacred quality that, that, that having had that time with, to talk with you a little bit there and uh, that you took that time, it was, you didn't, certainly didn't need to, and I wouldn't have expected it, but it meant something just to share that with you. I love to have a big grin on my face. Sometimes you kind of go, oh, look, I'm grinning, eh? and you don't realize that, and that just shows itself. So, yeah, to be sitting here now still climbing trees and doing this stuff and talking about it with you uh, and and sitting – I read Tony's book. That was good. <laughs> right? Free I fall. love that one. <laughs> it, it's, but, it's, it's, it's a twister. I, I think there's so much value in sharing a story like that, Dave, because, you know, one of the many unique things about our industry is that when you do make a mistake and, you know, the mistake you made was, it's nothing that people don't do all the time. It's just that in the nature of the work we do, the consequences of that mistake are so much higher, right? You know, if you were a carpenter or, you know, working on a front porch and maybe you'd broke your hand or something, it wouldn't have the same impact. And I think that that, that, you know, I see like with the advent of social media and these young people getting into the industry and just doing really, really silly stuff, putting themselves at such high risk because they just don't understand the consequences that, you know, a situation like that can teach you. And I think that hearing that, I, my hope is that, that hearing that story, you know, from someone like yourself that's gone through it can really make them pause and think about it, you know, because I mean, I was 21 doing tree work, you know, bulletproof and six foot tall too. But I did have good mentors that did literally hit me over the head with a board um, when I did stupid things. And I was, I was fortunate that, you know, I, I had that, but I think so many don't. And I just, I just see the silliest things happening and they're just, you know, it, it's like they don't see the train coming through the tunnel with the big light and it's heading straight for them. And I just hope that by hearing a story like you've told that maybe they'll stop and like, shit, you know, like there's the big light with the train coming right towards me. I better step off the tracks, you know? Yeah, yeah Tony, you know, I, I we haven't gone too far into... Uh, the road that I think I'm going to journey on now, I just energetically, I've been sensing it and I think I'm going to just head there. But uh, because when you talk about the industry and the risks and the things that we do and that we did, uh, many of us, you know, there's a certain type of personality that that's drawn to this industry that, that, that gets off. I get, you could say, you could say on, on thrills and spills and everything that goes with it. And, you know, unfortunately for me, for many years, that that carried way over into my uh, after work time. It, it, it wasn't really disconnected from it because the people that I would carry on with after work were very much the same people that I would carry on with at work. But it would just be rather than, you know, climbing high, you'd be flying high with other substances or liquids, you know. And uh, I think that that plays a role and it. I think it's a dark it's the, it's the elephant in the room, as they say, you know, I, I think, you know, when you get sitting around with a group of guys and gals in the industry after hours, uh, the topic invariably ends up talking about your favorite beer, your favorite whiskey or your favorite 
smoke and, uh, and, and, and partaking in that. And I, 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 you know, Dave, that was a big part of your, your, your our relationship and, yes. you know, partly what forged it, but, you know, for you and I both, we, it's, it's grown beyond that. And it was part of our journey. I, I certainly feel that, but it's not part of our journey now. And I feel even more connected. So I, I think, I think it's, we'd be remiss in not talking about That's right. that part of our lives and that journey, because I think for me, it led to a lot of accidents and incidents that happened to me personally. And, uh, we haven't, like I said, so I'll leave that for you to respond to how you wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. You go, oh, how many things happened? You know, how many things happened in my career where I could attribute it to at least being not present because I was, you know, I'm a drunk, you know, to coin a phrase and I'm fine embracing it. Like I didn't seem to mind talking about it when I was. So now and again, I feel pretty good about it now. But I know that uh, it didn't help me. It didn't help me. I can't, I'm not smart enough to know, but I know this, it didn't help me. And I know that uh, five years ago, I made a few lifestyle changes that involved not, 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 not imbibing alcohol anymore, which really, for me, the way I do it, I'm quite comfortable with it, never been happier. But I know certain things for me, my career is better. I feel better. Uh, I know that certain things have not happened at all since <laughs> I quit. Since, you know, got sober, call it what you like. You know, I mean, I've heard different people describe it as whatever. I quit drinking and then lots of things have been possible. And uh, I haven't lost my wallet once in five years. I haven't <laughs> lost my phone. Uh, I haven't looked outside and wondered about my vehicle, where it is, lots of different things. And yeah. with a new hip, I feel like I got kind of blessed. You know, I can't go back in time, but I had, I, I had so many interesting experiences that were bonding in many ways. But looking back on it, they were all experiences I, I really needed to get through to me. To be here, plus still doing tree work, uh, not doing things I did before. I'm not trying to be anybody's moral compass, but I know for a fact, if somebody like me drinks, uh, ain't gonna. It, there's no predictability to it. I might, might go home. <laughs> I might show up tomorrow. I might, you know, I might. <laughs> and I, I'm that guy. But since then, the best I can do now is, God, I love it. I love it. I never loved it before. And I, I think that uh, walking around now and feeling comfortable in my skin, you know, you got to talk about, you know, alcoholism and recovery, you know, and trees, the two biggest things in my life with two old friends. <laughs> like how better like I, I couldn't be any better and i'm gonna go do tree work after this at 61 i'm still like a uh you know i like to use the the term we used back in the day with frank and andrew and everybody we're like hired gun you know i get to go be a hired gun all over town the tree dog is the littlest hobo 
I show up and I feel like I can go from place to place now representing not only uh, what I think, you know, the benefit of all the mistakes and all the things in our industry. So when I go on a site and I go, oh, we got to do this today. I've done that. You know, I can go through a long group of things that I've done and now I can be present and helpful instead of maybe hung over and not giving that message. But I know now I don't have all the answers, but uh, the, the last five years of my career, I've gone from, you know, a lot of people in my mind, my own mind. Oh, I didn't know you were still alive. I dropped off the map. My addiction almost killed me. Yeah. And uh, to be back here now on a podcast, talking trees or loving life tells me that all things are possible. And God, you know, going, yeah, all things are possible. And I'm, I'm grateful for how it's gone. Yeah. Quite honestly. I appreciate that, you know, the way you, you've explained that because, you know, I and I don't bring this up to offer advice or to admonish anyone out there because you know i i can't say that had it gone differently for me that i would be able to be where i'm at you know had i not experienced what i did and made the mistakes i made until i reached a point of uh, i guess for me it became down to hurting bad enough you know like physically spiritually emotionally mentally being bankrupt you know, having no options that I could think of left to move forward. And, and, you know, and I had lots of opportunities, but, you know, it was, it, something needed to bring me to a point where I needed, where I, I, I understood that I needed and was willing to ask for help. And for me, that, that showed up in the way of more of a, in the spiritual sense. But had I not gone through everything I went through, and had those experiences, I wouldn't be there. So I really, you know, I don't offer anyone advice. I don't <laughs> offer anyone, here's how you do it. It's just if you ever feel, you know, where you don't know what to do or you wish things could be different and you've tried absolutely everything and it's still getting worse, there is hope at that point. And that's almost where, for me, where I needed to get to for it to happen. And I, as much as you don't wish that on anyone, it's like, how else do you get there? And that's kind of what I heard in your reply there, Dave. Well, because it's, it's a fact, eh? You know, that's a second before I knew it was one way, uh, the next way. In my culture, I'm Anishinaabeg, you know, from the Cooch and Fort Francis. So it's about the unseen world, you know, and, and in there, I don't have the answers for it, but I know uh, it changed. You know, and uh, as long as I keep feeling that way, being present, much like in the tree world, you know, how we have to be there. You know, we got to be there in the moment and we'll always get the best for it. You know, it'll what result it is, is what it is. And it's, it, it couldn't be, it couldn't be any better than to have it that way. So I'm quite grateful for all of it. <laughs> you know, to be able to still do all this with so many similarities between that, like, Best day ever, you know, uh, to go do this. And for all the people I meet on the job sites in the tree world now, when I show up and I still, I don't mind raking stuff. I don't mind dragging the tarp. I can back the back hole. I can work with the crane. Uh, what do you guys need me to do? And I love doing it. 
You know, he goes, you really love raking? I go, I rake better than any of you guys. And you start over there. The edge, I assign names, the debris field. I made that one up. I think we start at the back of the debris field and move it forward. Don't tell them now. I just demonstrate, you know, so it couldn't be any better, you know, to sort of share that with an enthusiasm that's genuine. And, uh, you know, you really you're just given what you got and I can't give it unless uh, I got it. So, you know, wonderful place to be but this has been like a great morning <laughs> yeah yeah no it is I, I i wanted to jump back for a second and you talked a bit about your harness do you remember like your first climbing system and what it consisted of <laughs> <laughs> wait yeah it was uh i it's kind of a tie you know <laughs> Uh, Jerry had killed Odin. If you you know Jerry, yeah, that is yeah. great. Uh, I went to work for him. Brad had this huge. Brad Crass had this monstrous belt uh, from alignment. Right? It had no leg okay. strap, nothing. It just went around your waist, which didn't inspire overhead work. It inspired like sliding on your bum. Right. Jer- Jerry gave me a. He gave. Me, <laughs> I went to work at killed Odin, and Jerry. He says, I have for you a harness. You can use it if you need to feel safe. <laughs> I said, no. Okay, dude. And he gives it to me. And it's literally like a nylon, like you make those old five points out of. And it's got a D-ring on each side and belts for leg straps. And the whole thing weighed about a pound. And it only had that. And it didn't come with a lanyard of any kind that was the harness so i used a clip and three strand uh suspension line that sort of abby's rental uses for the the drop i knew enough because i had cadet knowledge i put an english prusik on that and i used that tied to the d-ring so it didn't come off it was attached to the d-ring on one side and i just adjusted that and uh, I felt, because there was no internet back then, when I went to Kildonan and I was rocking that thing, I thought I invented climbing. Because, <laughs> oh, they went, look at that guy's using a belt. And I go, yeah, pretty cool, eh? And when I get to a branch, what I do is I unclip it and I hold on as hard as I can while I try to flip it up to the next branch before I fall off <laughs> and then i thought i invented you know what you could do i'm trying to remember who showed me with the carabiners I was using carabiners or clips i was using those and i thought i invented you use two lanyards that way you didn't have to fall to your death yeah you stay on the one lanyard and then put the other one on and then take that one off eh? and i went around showing people that see and then when you do that, <laughs> yeah, I have to say that was that wasn't really a climbing system, uh, as time permitted. <clears throat> I uh, extended the tail on the lanyard. You know, I still had no internet, but I used a long lanyard. Yeah. And I'm run, trying to remember a dude from Hartwood Gardens out here way back in the day. Uh, Roy. 
Roy, yeah. He, he said, yeah, you're really getting good at this, eh? Just keep using that long rope like that. And once you could sort of dial it in, I was just like a, a top line hit. Man, I rocked that thing. Uh, just kept cutting the end off my rope because you couldn't go buy a split tail anywhere. So I just kept cutting off the end and anything yeah. became a split tail. It was all right to yeah. use rotten rope for a split tail. You know, if you can't climb on it, you might as well use it for something. <laughs> there you go. There, yeah, there's been a slow advancement. Now I climb on a zigzag. <laughs> the exact opposite. <laughs> but back then, oh my word. Before, you know what it was like before internet? You know, we had a little club in Winnipeg here. We used to go meet every Sunday. And... uh just practice stuff. And the first class I took with you way back in forever ago, yeah. when I saw you use the throw line and uh, I just thought that was witchcraft. That you could throw it that high up accurately. And I revolutionized what I was doing. Instead of just throw balling go up 20, 30 feet, I was using that. And that changed everything and opened up doors, you know, to better ropes better gear better i remember i remember that day uh we we climbed in that oak and uh the 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 blake sitch had just come out and some people might remember the blake sitch you know was probably one you know it was right on the cusp of of things really starting to change and even even jason blake you know don blair talks about it in, in the podcast earlier this year that uh, Jason came to him and wanted asked Don how many videos of it he could sell. And Don said, you'd probably sell two because then everyone else would just share it with each other and talk about it. He said, the best chance you have is to name it. And and that's kind of what happened. But um, it was T- an industry association. I think I want to say TCI, and this isn't to discredit them, but they published an article to their credit, I should say, that of how to tie it. And, but unfortunately, the person that was tying it, and this was common when it first came out, that if you didn't set it just right, it would slide. It would hold, but it would, would result in like a slow kind of descent. And I remember you had been in the competition. That was your first comp. I won that year, and you were second. And I was hoping that you would take the climbing class. It was one of the first ones we were ever offering in Winnipeg, and you you hadn't signed up. So I... I went to Kildone and hunted you down, found out where you were and asked you to come climbing with me to set up. And we yeah. were sitting in the tree together and I look over, we're sitting, you know, that point when you're climbing with someone, you're just hanging out, you know, chatting. And I looked at your hitch and I said, Oh, you got, what are you climbing with? You said, Oh, Blake's hitch. I'm using the Blake's. Yeah. And I, and I said, does that ever, I noticed that it was tied the suicide way that we call the suicide. And I asked you if it ever slipped, I'll never forget it. You're like, Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah, it does a lot. I just put a knot under it. So when I go out on a limb, I put a knot under it and that way I don't have to worry about it. But I've had, I have slipped off a few times. Like when I cut a big branch well, the first time I realized it and it, and the extra weight, I came off and I said, and I did my body checked the side of a garage. So ever since I've put a knot underneath it and I said, well, <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, it's because it's the suicide knot, and I showed you. And that, that was kind of a, it was like, ah, do you remember that? Well, it was a game changer. I really <laughs> thought that, yeah. But again, you know, I didn't have the Wi-Fi password back then to be able to get that right. So, 
Uh, well, no, and that, but the thing was, it, the, the way it had been shown was actually, it had been shown incorrectly on the, there was a series of photos in the magazine. And it was kind of the great unveiling of the Blake Hitch because that was the primary medium of the way people learned about it, right? And uh, we were quite, you know, when we, when we, some of us in the industry realized it was like, oh my goodness, you guys published it wrong. Well, like they can't just pull back, retract all those magazines. Like nowadays with the internet, there's, it's a little bit easier to do, but kind of once it's out there, it's out there. But that was the form it had. And yeah, I I remember so many weird things. You know, Halifax occurred and, and Francois showed the Mishatras and he wasn't allowed to climb on it. And the next year in Salt Lake City, because Chris had climbed that year in Halifax and he came back and him and I were working together and we were farting around with the Mishah. And he said, what if you do it with a single strand? And, and we were like, holy, this is even faster and better. And we thought we invented the VT at the time. Yeah. And we showed up in Salt Lake City. I won that year. And there was five people that had all modified the Mishatras into a VT configuration. And Francois showed up with this book that showed both knots depicted from years ago in some book in the Belgium Alps rescue book. And none of yeah. us had invented nothing. You know, so... <laughs> <laughs> and that was all before internet too, you know, and, and the, it's, I think it's the whole thing about similarities and that we're all so much more alike. We think we think of things, but someone's thought of it probably, you know, and we're all, we all put our pants on one leg at a time and we're all afflict, uh, afflicted by the sim, similar challenges and problems. <laughs> Do you remember the SRT when, when that came out and they were using it in palm trees thrown over the top? Yeah. Yeah. I remember how, when I looked at that, uh, and thought, wow, incredible. So when they started going from that, uh, everything was kind of always moving rope. And then being able to work on that, throwing a line over the top, and you go, man, it, it's really just another configuration of, when soon you mentioned like mountaineering and how, oh, look at this knot was there. You know, there's so many knots that were used, like a caver is using, hey, that caver uses it. And watching these rescue guys doing different yeah. things. And, yeah. firefighters and old sailors and they're all going yeah well they got this one thing they do and you go whoa that would you know we've been so blessed in the tree world man. like yeah. taking a little bit from everybody over the years man. <laughs> yeah yeah when, when how much does uh srs play like do you climb single line much dave or well, how, i'm curious where you're at with that progression of, of climbing well i'm I'd like to consider now that um, I'm open to all those things, but in the area that I work, I've learned after the climbing is because my experiences again, uh, most often uh, for me to do uh, a throw line install or do stuff here, the canopy height 70 feet in Winnipeg, you get higher ones, but the average canopy heights around there. So quite often SRT for me, uh, isn't as mobile. There's times when it, it's a throw line, which I'm good at. So it's about the install and when, when I get to work right. and how I work. So I can install things really quickly, move around dynamically, and I'll use SRT where it's needed in my mind. Some people will use it everywhere, and I'm not necessarily a component of one system works for everything. Right. So there are times that DRT, I, there I am aging myself, DRT, 
uh, that that system has its time and place where it's the best thing to do. Yeah. And then there are times where SRT is the best thing to do. But are they both? In my mind, I have found times where I, went, I was climbing with my son the other day and using SRT uh, on watching him ascend with the rope wrench. And I was using a zigzag hanging off a pulley on the end of a long single line. So watching those similarities and knowing, yeah, I probably should have done this, but if I'm only working 10, 15 feet before I'm taking a branch out, I like being able to advance my rope around really quickly. I use a lot of natural crotches for working and I use it and love it and actually embrace it. I used the foot ascender the other day because I was bad mouthing it and uh you know who nobody footlocks anymore if you'd seen me in the at the ascent you would have said whatever but <laughs> i use the uh i use the ascender and i have one i've had one for 20 years and i put it on the other day the same black one i've had and wow it was pretty easy you know i just popped <laughs> my leg the next thing i knew i was flying up the rope i went oh yeah, yeah. so to be able to do that i think having all those systems it's paramount for me to be able to say, okay, we can only SRT here, or you're going to have to tie a knot. You know, some people go, now you have to tie a few knots today and it's not possible. So there are times and places for me, but I primarily 90% of the time, uh, climb on DRT with, with way better rope and way better gear than I would have used before, but I love it. You know, and it works where it works. But man, when I watch people on SRT and the equipment now, holy camoly, like uh, the, the changeability to stuff, to be able to just snap something on and you're immediately doing something. Uh, it's beautiful in some respects. Uh, in some way, I was having a conversation with someone the other day in the industry about how uh, if a piece of gear breaks, that's, there are people climbing today that can't tie something to get down. That they have to have this snap on or this available or this hit or something. I'm not saying that, but those, those people are out there. Yeah. You don't have to know how to tie a blade hitch anymore. Get a hundred guys in the room, uh, varying skill sets. They tie a blade hitch. Everybody now, like my PO would do in the Navy. Everybody tie a Blake Sitch. Everybody tie a bowline. Everybody tie a running bowline. I work with guys all over the place on crews where that knowledge is really wanting. You know, they're really struggling with some things. So new gear only as a reward, you know, for being able to do uh, climb with a Blake Sitch. So you, you would be that? of the uh, you'd be of the 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 mindset that you know it's still good to know. You know, the, the, I guess what you'd call traditional, and for us, Blake's hitch wasn't even traditional. You know, it would be, my first hitch wasn't even a taw line. It was a variation of a taw line. It was, I think it's actually termed a rolling hitch. It was two wraps and then two half hitches above the two wraps, which never rolled on synthetic rope that I ever experienced. And and that's what I, I, I didn't know what it was called. That I thought it was a taut line to find out later that it was a variation of it. But, um, you know, it seems like if you go, it seems like today traditional seems to end at the Blakes. You you hear very little even about Totline or or Prusik, certainly when it comes to moving rope systems. But um, 
that regardless of that fact, you, you're thinking it's still good for Arvis to know that stuff and, and should know that stuff. Is that fair I to think say? It, it's absolutely essential for that knowledge to, to be there. I think I used what would be the, uh, reason you the other that day. day. Back then, it I'm used to take the adventure. I'm sorry, I'm, sorry, I'm curious, but why, why, why do you think that that's important? Like, what would be to a young climber that's doing SRS saying, well, I don't need to know that old crap. Why, what, what do you tell someone that why it is important? Well, you know, it comes back when we were talking, the tree industry is funny, but almost everything, at least in life, for me, would be you have to have a base. You got to build a base, you know, to be able to do certain things. You need a base of knowledge. And in the tree world, it's very important when you arrive on the job site to have access to all the stuff that builds to that guy that's looking so great over there and covering all those bases. You know, we learn to do so much with so little in the tree world, but building a base where you have requisite skills that allow you to expand them and get a little bit better at it over time. I'm, I like to keep people, you know, there's so many similarities in some ways. Like climbers, you seem responsible when you're showing people stuff, you know, and uh, seems more important to me the last bunch of years to be very careful about what I demonstrate, how I demonstrate it, and to make sure uh, that that holds me accountable to being good in the basics, you know, so you don't fall out of a tree because you stay in the moment and put a knot in the bottom of your rope. You know, all the stuff that needs to be known is not just in, you know, the gear, uh, but in how you present that stuff and how you approach the whole job. You know, the gear can be great. It's so great now that the tree is less of a consideration. You know, the gear used to break all the time before the tree did. Now the tree breaks because the gear's so good. You know, so people getting a feel for stuff right at the beginning and seeing it exampled as to, you know, real situations about stuff. Because right now, sometimes that knowledge is there in the head, but it hasn't been experienced. And it can be horrifying the first time you find out that pieces weigh that much or uh, you can't get out of this. It's important to me to have that demonstrated when I go to someone's job site now that I know the right way to do stuff, give or take. Uh, I demonstrate it the way I do and that resonates with some people. Other people, maybe not so much, but that's why there's other people out there doing it. You know, there's a kind of a safe way and then there's the way that everybody that's been at it a long time kind of gets less head naughty, you know, and more kind of where you want to, you know, you don't want to be the guy where you're kind of looking away. You know, I hope that works out, you know. <laughs> you know, now uh, I appreciate the fact uh, in a nice, good way to just demonstrate the right way in the face of it. And I love watching guys that do it as well. You know, to have no fear that you're just calmly demonstrating. You're not in there barking at everybody to do it my way but you do it that way and they see the advantage to it. And then they go off and just kind of, does it really matter how they got that information, how they gained it for me? You know, most likely they get it because I know what kind of a dork I am. 
I see it and I don't give credit in the moment, but later on I'll think about it quietly. <laughs> I think everyone needs that base and that time. In so many areas of life, the tree world's no different. You know, uh, share what we got and correctly, you know, and then other people will go out and do that as well. The tree world mirrors a lot of things uh, for me. And as an old timer in it, and my buddies called me an OG in Winnipeg for this. And I went, I still feel like I'm just whatever. Uh, we go through so much. And what a blessing to be able to share all that stuff with people around here. And every time I get to go somewhere, because I'm representing you and Tony and all the other guys that took time for me, you know, so I'm responsible. Hey, I heard Dave, uh, eh, you know, and it's all dumb. Well, that's too bad. You know, and the same thing for everybody else to demonstrate that and go, yeah, well, it shows, dude, you know, that we all have that responsibility with new climbers and new people to really have the strength to show the right way. And it's, I think it's, it's always going to be important to me for that, at least more so than it was before. But yeah. Yeah. The, you know, you mentioned the, the responsibility or the, you know, how, what we do and say, you know, affects other people. I always ask people at some point in the show, we're getting to that stage, I think, how you would, or have you ever thought about how trees and being involved with trees and tree people, but just being in this human force that you've been a part of, or how trees specifically have, have, do they, give you examples or do you do you tangibly or consciously feel there's examples of that you draw into your personal life from being part of the tree world and part of trees every every single day bless bless this way bless that uh i couldn't have picked this job it picked me and i just fell along with it i uh every day when i wake up and i realize that today i'm gonna go off and I'm going to remove a poplar tree for somebody who said, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Now you come and do it. I'm going to go take out a, a, a limb over a, a service line. And I'm going to be so, so blessed that that's what gets to go on, you know, and in other areas of my life, it, 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 it mirrors that, that, I'm, I'm a blessed man because of the tree world and the people in it. That that's what goes on. And so many individuals I know in my life are not fulfilled in, in that way. The tree world gives me exactly what I need. It's not a job uh, to go out and, and die tomorrow. And, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not ever going to retire. So I will always have this. It'll always be something for me that uh, keeps me in the moment and keeps me happy. There's no better way than to wake up and love what you're going to go do and the people you're going to go do it with. Uh, and if I'm lucky to wake up tomorrow, I'll likely do it again. You know, and at my funeral, people will go, God, that was weird. I saw him on Thursday. He was deadwooding an ash tree. And he goes, yeah, but he's dead now. And you go, yeah, he's dead now. <laughs> We'll all have a wave and a slice of pizza, maybe a smudge or two. And uh, it's it's the greatest place to go to work, you know. You get to do this. Like, the, 
the littlest hobo. I got two different places to go do things today. And oh man, it's with any luck, I'll see some of the. I get to see tree people all over the place. I love stopping and bothering everyone that I find and see. <laughs> Just um, being there. You mentioned smudging, and, and you've talked a little bit about your your background. But I I know that you've you've kind of reconnected with your 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 very beginning roots and with your indigenous past, and and it's now more part of your present. I think it seems like to me more than than before. Um, could you just elaborate a little bit on that journey and, and how that's, you know, been affected? Well, and, and I know trees yeah, are a big part of your indigenous culture, I think. Oddly enough, you know, this is like a cool talk. You know, I love doing that. And that, <laughs> yeah, you know, in, in my recovery and, and in helping, which really has helped me with getting back to the unseen stuff. I come from uh, Cooch in Fort Francis, Ontario, my mother's side. You know, and there's a lot of tragedy there that I don't have to go through a lot, but it explained a lot of things for me. And five years ago, uh, I I looked to that, and I had some great people in my life that helped me to reconnect, to get back to, you know, the spiritual side of of what my people are about. It would help me be again in the moment. So, in the last five years. I've been able to do a lot of things with a lot of blessed elders and a lot of lessons that have been given that didn't always need answers, but needed acceptance to be able to understand the history of what may have affected how my family was I didn't know because my family wasn't allowed to, and some of these subjects sometimes get kind of messed up because my mother didn't want us to be indigenous. She was terrified because I'm 61 that I would be taken. And, you know, so she had alcohol issues and lots of different issues that came with never ever were we to say that we were indigenous because that would and could be a ground for being taken. So my mother suffered from mental illness and uh, addictions and went through residential school traumas that were just, we'll just go with trauma. You know, enough that, you know, there wasn't much about the culture that was uh, positive. So she she had her moments and I mean, she ultimately uh, took her own life as a result of alcoholism and um, her lifelong struggles with, you know, what went on, you know, and I'm not to judge any, anything other than to go, well, that went on. So I do my best now to honor what my mother would, when she looks around now, she looks down and sees that I've devoted energies to spending time with my people and being more selfless and, uh, becoming a knowledge keeper, you know, bearing witness to things and developing, uh, you know, sort of a pride in my culture and my people, but also making sure that, uh, you know, my people are, we're inclusive. We're all about the healing forest and all colors, races, and creeds, you know, to be in the moment that way. Uh, I like 
that everything had to go the way that it did. It feels like a pretty wild price to pay for my family, but it really, again, led to a lot of this. And I'm getting to be what I consider, not my phrase, but I'm getting to be, I'm hoping to remain being a transitional character for my family. And if that helps other people in all areas of my life, then wow, like, I'm, the journey today, uh, hopefully repeats itself tomorrow. And uh, it's it's been long and fun in the last five years. If it's any indication of what the next five years can be, I'm quite excited because <laughs> I'm not used to success. You know, I'm the guy that the night before the big game, I lose my phone and I black out drunk and I don't show up. You know, that's <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> so it's been a good five years, man. You know, when I talk to you guys, I remember parts of my life and where I was at. I remember the day we did that, Tony. You know, I remember, Dwayne, our conversation with you talking to me with Phil. You know, I remember the throw line days. I remember uh, the comps and being frightened for my life. You know, and then now when I get back with my people and I share these things, there's a real connection between the trees and my people, you know? When I say my people, I never ever said that. I get better at saying it all the time, that my people and the trees, and I get to be a caretaker for that. And all the cool tree people I know that are not indigenous, they're just all one of us, you know, like our medicine wheel is. Red, yeah. brown, black, and yellow, you know? Right. And whatever shade's in there, you know? It's all to get connected, and I'm so proud of it, so. Uh, I think I covered it. That's pretty indigenous right there. <laughs> yeah. I recently, you know, you were asked to speak at our conference and you spoke on, on the, you know, you, you shared some uh, stories from first nation stories, I believe it was Ojibwe. And it, one of the fascinated me was the creation story. I, you know, I had never heard an all, a, a, a first nations version of creation. You know, I, I, of course, you know, I, you know, the Adam Eve is, is what most people believe and actually, you know, think that's the way it really was or whatever. And, um, you know, I was, I know you, you, you showed a video of it, but I'm wondering if you would be willing to tell us that story on this podcast, the story, is it a Ojibwe story of creation? Would that be fair to say? Uh, I'd say it's a an indigenous view of creation, you know. Okay, indigenous, yes. Yeah, they all have their own versions of, uh, you know, how things went. And I'm trying to remember the video off the top of my head. It was one uh, where everyone lived in the sky. Turtle Island story, the Turtle Island story, the the version that that you know. My word. I'm lost. You can do it. You can do it. Yeah, I know. I know I can. I know that... Uh, I'm trying to remember the birch tree version. I'm having a brain fart as I sit here. I was fascinated by, you know, the the symbolism. And, and you know, what, what was interesting is the tree. You know, how the trees pulled out. And how the tree is such a center of the whole thing. No, it's true. You know, there's so much more, Dwayne, honestly, that uh, 
and I sit here right now, I just got reminded, you know, of uh, of how much more I have to do and how much more is, is there for me. Because when I heard Turtle Island, to me, it was something that was this uh, mystical place. And it turned out to be where everybody was, you know, and the dance down from the skies. And I'm thinking of stories of Wendigo who came down and everything had to start. And the tiniest of, of, of root systems and everything became attached. I'm trying to think of what Louise would be telling me to say. You know, to know that uh, our creator has created all this to be respected. And, you know, over time, I think I'm going to be able to be more of those things. But as Sheila would say, Dave, you're only four. So for me to explain creation, I know... Uh, I know right now that there's a version of this far greater than myself that I I can't explain. Quite honestly, I completely cannot explain. I know that I accept that that's there and that can often for me be the thing that causes me the most frustration. I know that things happen and because it hasn't been part of what I've gone through. I've embraced all the things I have to know to be able to do it. I read the smudging prayer today to make sure I understood that and my Indian prayer to be able to get the, the knowledge and the words that I need to be able to uh, represent us well. And uh, I hope over time to be able to do that better than, you know, than the fire keeper does. Yeah, well, I, I have to say it was, uh, I, I think mystical would be a fair way to describe the way I felt. And I don't know why, you know, maybe even I have heard a version of the story someday, but for some reason that, that, that you know, that day, like what, two weeks ago, whatever it was, yeah. listening to that, it, it just struck me, the, the breadth and the scope of, of the creator or higher power, uh, the spiritual realm, you know, that's bigger than all of us. That that is all part of us, you know. That it it it's it's manifested in so many different ways, and you know, it was just to to know that, you know, that that story was told and shared in a version of it for generations at the same time that, you know, the the the, the Christian version was being portrayed and. And having space for it, you know, because I was raised in a way that there wasn't space for it. And I still have family and know people that struggle with giving that space, like saying, this is the way, you, you know, you have to follow this way. You know, the very same thing that imposed such travesties upon your culture. You know, the residential school is really a symbolism of that thinking that this, that that somehow some human person or humankind could know the spiritual way is just ridiculous uh, to me now, you know, but um, it, 
it it was it was mystical for me to hear another version that that resonated that I had space for. I think for me and that's why I was you know, I guess it's a bit of a selfish question because No. I liked it and I wanted to hear that more. I don't think it. it is, quite honestly. And I, I like the, the the fact that uh there's challenges in there and odd again to represent exactly where uh the journey I was on. If I was asked to describe the story of creation uh, from a Christian perspective, man, I could do it all. I was raised in the Catholic church by my, my mother who, though residential school, guess what? My mother was a nun, right? Went through all the things she went through. So it's paramount to know every single detail of how things went on. And when I'm exposed to my own culture, we often talk about the disconnect that happened for six or seven generations about how a 61 year old man who should be an elder can sit here and struggle with the story of creation of his own people. Something that I should have been connected to back in the day. I'm trying to grasp everything I know now, four or five years later, because now it's okay. So, I love the fact that I, I, I have to go, yeah, that sort of is. And it made me think about all the things I've heard elders say where I used to say, well, come on, how really important is it that you have that connection, that healing forest, that whatever. My great, great, great grandfather didn't live the life that I lived. He could share those stories around the fire. Right. That wasn't available to us. Because for whatever reason, it wasn't allowed. And again, I'm just a dude. But as soon as you asked me that, I went, wow. It's like being in, in high school and suddenly there's the pop quiz and you go, you didn't have that. And you go, well, it's kind of sad that, you know, yeah. of all the things I do know, you can still be left with creator reminding you that there's much work to still do. And that there is some reality to the fact that a grown Anishinaabe man, Biajing Minagin, whose name cannot do everything, you know? So I know that there's lots to do. And it really opened my mind to that. And I, I thank you for putting that in perspective for me about generational stuff. So thanks, brother. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, it, it, listening to you, uh, you know, the la like today and, and our conversations that we've had of late at the competition in Winnipeg and then also when you were here in Olds for our conference. Um, I, I, uh, and, and it, and it, it kind of has a, a, a connection to, you know, the kind of the reason we started this podcast is to connect. You know, it started originally to connect our instructional team with the history of, of, of our company and of our instructors of the past. But it very quickly after the first episode, we realized it's it, there's this is there's a disconnect in the industry, and and here I am just feeling like holy crap, never mind the industry, but like it, this whole question of SRS and how that you got kids. Or the younger generation, and I'm not meaning that disrespectfully, you know, they don't know how to tie a Blake's. It's like this concept of elders and passing on and having that respect. I'm wondering if that's like you're resurrecting that in the native culture that that's being like fiercely sought after and, and, and rediscovered. And I'm wondering, 
like, you know, my, my father's passed away. I was adopted. My, my birth father, I reconnected with that family, but, but he's not here. You know, I found myself thinking, man, what a cool thing you have to be able to go to your reserve and to people that are part of your tribe that you call elders and listen to. And, and they, they speak to you and they tell you these stories. Like, um, I don't know that, that in, in modern society that we, we we have that connection as strongly as it should be. And I'm, you know, I'm just throwing that out there, but I would treasure that if I was you, cause I, I somewhat envy it and admire it. It's been so cool. My auntie passed away. White bird woman. She was Cree from, she was the first indigenous nurse in Manitoba. They named a wing of the health sciences center after her. Wow. Ann Thomas Callahan. You know, she said things to me before she died those few years, and I was lucky that I got sober so I could be there, you know, in a way that I needed to be there. She would say things like, Dave, bring me tobacco because we have to talk. It didn't mean she was going to smoke it. She needed that to create something. Again, greater minds and mine. And then she would share with me stories of my mother because she knew my mother from the 50s. Then she shared things with me that helped me a great deal, but they could only be shared in, in that realm, you know, and from an elder. And uh, we hope to create all that, you know, we're elders, you know, the three of us, you know, to share that experience and to do all those things. And to do it in a manner that makes someone go, thank you for that. You know, whether they do it there or somewhere else. I know my cookum, my auntie, you know, in my culture, everybody can be an auntie. You know, everybody's a cousin. You know, creator says it's all one. You're there. So having that connection with, with elders like that that's growing. And I have probably three or four in my life right now that challenge me to to be better you know and that's the way they talk be better stop being that be better try harder you know simple old lesson so i'm turning into that guy <laughs> <laughs> i hate well, it <laughs> i i i think it's great you know i i'm i'm feel fortunate to be on a similar path as you in in life and in recovery as well and uh you know i i, I I don't know. I just, I, I feel blessed by it for sure. Um, Tony, you've been listening to Dave and I for a while. And I, I know that your, your, your life's been affected in different ways by similar circumstances, but um, I'm curious what you would have to say about the eldership of even the, what we're doing here and how that, what your thoughts are on the, on the concept of mentorship and eldership, in within the tree industry these days in the human forest of the trees yeah well first dave thanks for sharing those stories they're you know that that stuff's priceless right you don't you don't get that anywhere else um, but yeah i think you know i think that's something that has been lost um i mean i look at my experiences a prime example for me of that is my experiences with uh, with the itcc right the international tree climbing competition as a 20 year volunteer, you know, when I got into it, I was, you know, building up and the idea in my mind, the idea was that I would get a, I would get a certain skill set 
And then I would pass that on and then, you know, I would fade off into the sunset. And what really disappointed me in the end is I was never given that opportunity um, to pass that on, you know, just through for very many. And it's not, I'm not pointing fingers or laying blame. And that experience made me realize how much I value that, right? How much I value that mentorship and having those elders. And, you know, when I was much younger in my twenties and thirties and you listen to it, it's like, oh yeah, whatever, whatever. But now being a little older, I see the value of those stories and, and I think it's important. And I think it's important that people in general be reminded of it, but especially in this industry, because the consequences of the, of, of a misstep can be so fatal. Um, you know, and there's so many similarities from, you know, trees in life to, you know, tree work and things. And we've been down that path before and we'll go down it many times again. But, you know, I, I get to the point now when it comes to knowing people that have been in this industry and that have passed, you know, it, it's, it's my job as somebody that's been an arborist for 30 years to remember, to remember them. And it's my job to make sure that people remember them people as well. And it's, you know, it's my responsibility to tell the stories and, you know, to, to help build this podcast with Dwayne so that those stories can be shared with other people so that they can go on. And it, you know, just recently occurred to me probably three weeks ago that all the training I've spent a career trying to, to master and get good at is really, I've just been learning to tell the story, you know, so much of arboriculture is oral tradition. And when I go someplace and train, you know, our, our mantra's always been data doesn't matter. And it's so true because it's really just a story I'm telling somebody, right? And they can take the pieces out of it and they can learn from it as they see fit and, and learning to accept that. And it's a very, very powerful thing. And um, I hope that it doesn't get lost and I hope that it can be preserved because it's so important. Because where else are you going to, where else are you going to get it? Nobody's writing these books, you know, the, the information that we the three of us have to share uh, on many things, it's, it's never going to be in a book. You know, it's only going to be shared by us talking about it and telling those stories. <laughs> it's like Don Blair, uh, Dave, I don't know if I told you this, but when uh, when I was talking to Don Blair about this, and I think it was after the podcast, I can't remember, at some point in one of our conversations, it wasn't recorded, but he said, you know, Dwayne, when an arborist, like an old arborist like us die, a library burns down. And, uh, it's true. And there's a wealth <laughs> of knowledge in there, right? That metaphor for the library's yeah. gone. Like, yeah. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta, hey? Yeah. You almost feel like you gotta, and people stare at you at a site sometimes, and it feels different to feel that way, you know, that the library's gonna burn. I gotta give you some books, man. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah, that. Exactly, exactly, exactly right. <laughs> I love the way you put that, Tony, too. You know, and, and I think back to, you know, I there is so many, like, you know, Bruce, you mentioned Dave down at the Geezers, and Bruce is, you know, when we do our trainer uh, events, uh, we always, we now, it has been for a few years now, we put a chair out for those that have gone, you know, it, it, Pete, Alex, James, Bruce, um, Stanley, you know, the list is long, right? And, and, and we try to always honor that, uh, just their legacy and, and remember that we only stand on the shoulders that have went before. And, and recently I was, I was doing a, we were doing a, a, a tree decay thing in, uh, in Niagara Falls and, uh, well, actually Niagara on the lake, but anyways, there was this old historian at this old church where, uh, 
Henry does a lot of work, and we were doing this route inspection with this advanced stuff with Frank Wren. But anyway, the historian guy was talking to us, and he and 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 Ken told me a story about Laura Secord and how she ran down to warn the Americans of an impending attack, or warn the Canadians, sorry, of the Americans coming to attack. And and he and this historian guy who's I can't remember his name, he's quite well known, but he was he said that's an interesting story an interesting version of that history. And he said, you know, the story I know, and he told, and he kind of like, it was like, kind of like he corrected him, but he wasn't because he said, you know, history. And he gave us his little lesson. He said, all history is, is someone's version of the story that they remember. And he said, some people write it down. And even that doesn't mean it's true. It's just their version of it. And, and he said, but it's, it, it's nevertheless a story that's told from a one person's perspective. And he said, I love listening to all of them. So he, he was fascinated to hear Ken's interpretation of the Laura Secord story. And, you know, and Ken felt he was relaying the history accurately and he was doing it honestly. So he wasn't intentionally trying to change it. It was as he best remembered it as it was told to him. And he said, that's all history is. And I, it just made me think, holy crap, like, like the way I describe how the Michaud Trust was introduced by Francois and how Chris and I adapt, like, I wonder how Chris would tell that story. You know, yeah. I wonder how Francois would tell, like we all are just telling stories and what that's a great cool. venue. And, you know, I think that's in essence, the, 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 the part of the, the beauty of what's happening with this, the tree actions is we're just telling stories to each other about how we got here and, and what happened along the way, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Dave, uh, we, we get to, this is probably a bit more of one of our extended versions. We always get to a point in the podcast where we, uh, where we, uh, are, are drawing it, it, it they seem to draw to a natural end and yep. uh i think we're kind of at that spot but uh um i just want to thank you so very much for uh your your ability to communicate and the way you do tell and share and 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 the the place you're at these days because talking to you and, and where our conversations go nowadays i've always enjoyed them but they're just on a deeper level. They're more meaningful than they've ever been. And I just want to thank you for, for that and for taking time to do this. Thank you guys. I love you both. You know, uh, and it really just meant a lot. It meant so much to me to be able to sit and, and do this. And uh, man, it really just, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for anything better than that. To be able to wax on about my career and, recovery and do that and feel like I was talking with a couple friends. I really thank you so much. Thank you.